Hey guys, before we get into the stories this week, we wanted to let you know that we're wanting to do a listener stories episode. Yes. So if you have any true crime related things, paranormal related things, any personal stories. Yes. And maybe something's happened in your hometown. Maybe you've heard of like, just like some crazy story yeah. that you find wildly interesting. Maybe your grandma knew Ted Bundy. Some shit. Who knows? Let us know. Let us know. Email us at crewtrimetruecrime at gmail.com. And we'll read that shit. We'll make a whole episode about it. So yeah. please send your spooky shit, your crew crime shit. A story you're interested in. Maybe yes. we haven't covered it yet. Let us know. We would love to hear it. Again, that email is crewtrimetruecrime at gmail. Hit us up. Can't wait to hear from you guys. Welcome back to Crew Crime, a true crime podcast with Sav and Mads. And this week, kind of vibing with this whole listener of the week thing, Jason, yes. we love you. Brennan, we love you. Leela, we love you. Yes. So our listener of the week this week is... Dallas. Dallas. <laughs> Honestly, she listens to the podcast on repeat. Yes, she when we don't have new us. episodes, yeah. she'll just listen to episodes over and over again, which is so sweet. And she's like, it feels like I'm just hanging out with you and Mads. And it's if so that's cute. not the sweetest thing, then I don't know what is. So we love you, Dallas. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for listening to the pod. And you win listener of the week, which mm-hmm. gets you nothing but a shout out. So. Nothing but a shout Enjoy. out. Enjoy. But also <laughs> just like a whole lot of love. Yes. Yeah. I hope you feel it through the microphone. Mm. We love you. We love you. Anyway, so with that, our our topic this week was kind of like horror movies that are based off of like a true crime. Yeah. So I know for my story, I it's I mean you could definitely call it a horror movie, but really it's just a really fucked up story that they turned into a movie, and they did a surprisingly good job of. Really? So you liked your movie? Yes. Okay. I thought it was like like not everything was obviously exactly accurate. But watching the movie, they did a damn fine job. Interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm excited to hear about it. Yes. I'm Mine excited. is definitely a 100% horror movie. It's like one yeah. of the first slasher yeah. movies, but we'll get into that. I'm so excited. <laughs> so we're going to start with mine. I'm doing um, The Murder of Sylvia Likens. And the movie that was made about it was called An American Dream. Or no, it's not that. It's an American <laughs> Crime. Okay. Well, <laughs> two very different things. An American Dream. I was American like, what the crime. fuck? Why would they call it that? <laughs> yeah, no. It's actually... So, maybe after you listen to the uh, story, go check out the movie and tell me what you think. Do you think yes. it's, like, accurate? Do you think they get a, did a good job? I'm just going to get right on into it. I'm going to tell you about Sylvia Likens and everybody else and everything else will follow. Fuck. All right. Yes. So, Sylvia Likens came from a big, not-so-well-off family in a- Indianapolis, Indiana. She had four siblings, and she was the middle child. And listen to how interesting this is. I didn't know this. Okay. And I've listened to a thousand podcasts on this poor fucking girl. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, so older than her, she had, like, twin siblings, Diana and Daniel. And then younger than her, she had twin siblings, Benny and Jenny. Whoa. And then she was just the only one kid. 
That's crazy. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I've literally never heard of that. Also, Benny and Jenny as twins. Benny and Jenny. And then Diana and Daniel. <laughs> I hate that. Yeah, interesting. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> it's like genuinely. I don't know why, but like I feel like a fire in my chest. <laughs> don't call him Benny and Jenny. No. Do you know that one Dr. Seuss story that's like Mrs. McPhee had 23 sons and she, and she named, named them all Dave? Dave. Yeah. That's this bitch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Benny, Benny Jenny, Jenny, Fenny. Same fucking thing. Lenny. <laughs> Yeah, for real. Okay, but real quick about Jenny, because she is a big part of the story. So Jenny had polio, which caused her to have, like, one of her legs was weaker than the other, and she had a limp, and she had to wear, like, a steel brace on her leg. Just something to know when she comes back up later. Okay. So Sylvia's dad, Lester Likens, worked many different jobs, but none of them were very good because he had only an eighth grade education. Oh. So he really can't get much with that. And at this point, it is, like, the 1960s. Oh, so it's not even back in the day when that's just, like, what you got. Yeah. It's, like, the 1960s. And he would do, like, anything that he could. He would work, like, a laundry route. He would work in factories. Um, But where both him and his wife, Betty, had the most success was traveling with the carnivals and selling food with, like, concession stands. So they would just, like, Hmm. follow carnivals with their concession stand. That's fun. Just vibe, you know? Yeah. I kind of like that. Lester and Betty... Uh, Sylvia's parents had a very unstable marriage. They were just constantly, like, up and moving. Like, these kids didn't really have a place that they could call home. They were chasing the carnivals and suffering, like, greatly financially. They did not have much money at all. Yeah, I would assume not. Yeah, so oftentimes their boys, Danny and Benny, would travel with them to help with the stand, but the girls were not allowed to help because Lester and Betty were concerned more for the girls' safety and also about, like, ruining their education. By, like, working instead? I guess I could kind of see that, and I kind of respect that viewpoint. Yes, because I kind of makes a lot of sense. Not to talk shit on carnies, but I don't know if I would throw my little girls into a booth with a whole bunch of fucking carnies everywhere yeah. and, like, all these random people. Kind of stressful. Yeah. I can feel them on, the, like, not wanting the girls yeah. to do that. And also caring about their education. I was like, that's really nice. Sucks yeah. that the boys are like, okay, you need to work. We need help. Yeah. But, like... Good for the girls, I guess. So this whole thing resulted in when they were, like, traveling with the carnival and the boys were with them, the girls would be, like, bounced around between relatives. Oftentimes, they stayed with their grandma. Um, And as a teenager, Sylvia would sometimes earn money by babysitting, running errands, ironing clothes... And every time she would, like, chip in and she'd give her mom, like, a portion of anything that she earned. So, that like, is it was, so sweet. Right? So it was like Aww. they were really trying to, like, get through it and make it work. Yeah. She was described as a sweet sweet girl, friendly, confident, and lively. And her friends gave her the nickname Cookie. Cookie. Oh, Haven't we talked about a cookie, cookie before? Yes. Oh, my God. That prostitute cookie. Yes, that prostitute cookie. Oh, yeah. Wow, look at that. Cookies on the podcast. I love that. (laughs) I love that. But she was noticeably protective of her younger sister, Jenny, who was suffering from polio, and she was much more quiet, much more reserved, like, timid. Jenny was? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but they were very, like, Sylvia and Jenny were very close. That's cute. I like that dynamic. And then in the summer of 1965, Sylvia and Jenny were living with their parents in Indianapolis. Sylvia was 16 at this point, and Jenny was 15. On July 3rd, their mom got arrested for shoplifting and went to jail. Aww. It turns out that this whole time, yeah, she, so they were, had been living with their parents, but right before like she had got their mom had gotten arrested, the mom had basically kidnapped Sylvia and Jenny and just like ran off, ditching the, their dad. Was the dad abusive in any way? It honestly does not seem like it. I, hmm. I could not tell you. It seemed like, yes, their marriage was like unstable, but yeah. it didn't seem like there was any sort of abuse within their home. Like, at all. Interesting. Yeah. Because I could understand if she kind of did, like, an escape with her kids Mm -hmm. or, like, whatever. But, like, 
I think it was a lot mm. of, like, financial turmoil in their relationship. I see. You know how, like, it, the number one things to bring down a relationship are, like, like sex troubles, definitely. Yeah. But fucking money problems. Finances, for sure, yeah. can bring it down. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's really what they were going through, from what I gather. Yeah. So while their mom's in jail, Sylvia was... Like, fully responsible of taking care of Jenny. And, like, well, yeah, Jenny's only a year younger, but she also has all these, like, health issues. She has these problems. Yeah. She's got her leg. So she did, she was, like, her sole caretaker. So they met this girl at school named Paula Benazowski. Benazowski? Benazowski. Benazowski. And she had invited both Sylvia and Jenny to come over and hang out. She had found out what Sylvia and Jenny's, like, home life was like and that their mom was in jail and their dad wasn't in the picture. And so she's like, do you guys want to, like, sleep over? Oh, that's right? really sweet. She's sweet right now. Yeah. But... I assume it's going to go bad. <laughs> yeah. So, Lester, their dad, had been, like, kind of, like, searching for them, like, trying to find them, and he finds the mom in jail, contacts her, talks to her, kind of finds out generally where the kids are. In, like, talking to the mom or whatever, Lester, the dad, finds Paula's house where the girls were sleeping over, and when he gets there the next morning, like, of the sleepover, he meets Gertrude Banaszewski, which is Paula's mom. And also the devil of this fucking story. Yeah, no, fuck this bitch until Straight she dies. Up. The Straight devil up. of yeah. this story. Yeah. And Lester and Gertrude, like, get to talking. The idea came up that Gertrude would take Sylvia and Jenny in and, like, take care of them because Lester and Betty had, like, reconciled. They were going to go travel the United States carnival circuit and they needed a place to leave the girls. And Gertrude was like, well, you can leave them here with me for $20 a week. Okay. This woman, this, this Gertrude woman was dirt fucking poor. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about her and and what kind of led her into this whole fucking disaster of a story. Oh, no. Yeah. So Gertrude was born in 1929. She was the third of six kids. As a child, she had a really great relationship with a dad, but a very cold, like, frigid one with her mom. And I'm not really sure exactly why. But when she was just 11 years old, she watched her dad die suddenly of a heart attack. Like, she was there, watches her. And she was 11? And she loved her dad and not have a good relationship with her mom. So, five years later, she's 16 years old. Gertrude drops out of school to marry 18-year-old deputy, like, the sheriff deputy, John Banaszewski, which is how she got that name. And together, they had four children. John had a temper, though. He was abusive. He was not a great guy. And he would often just beat Gertrude just for annoying him. Oh, my God. Yeah. What a fucking dick. Just for annoying him. I don't fucking know. Could you imagine that? Anytime my boyfriend annoys me, I'm like, haha, you need to go downstairs. Leave me alone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go in the bathtub. Yeah. Never once would I be like, hmm, I think I'm going to physically abuse you because you've annoyed no. me right oh, now. Oh, you're annoying, punch. Yeah, no. What fuck the you. fuck? Ugh. No. So they ended up actually staying together, though, for 10 years um, before they ended up getting divorced. And in that divorce, Gertrude got all the kids. Gertrude ends up, after this divorce, she meets a man named Edward Guthrie, and not like not even a year after her divorce, she starts talking to this guy. They get married. Three months into their marriage, Edward divorces her because he was tired of having her kids around. What like, the fuck? fuck? Kids. He knew they were a part of the yeah, equation. Four of them. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. He says, fuck them kids, and he leaves. He's like, <laughs> All I imagine you. is that fucking meme. Who is it? Michael Jordan? Michael Jordan. Fuck them kids. (laughs) Just sitting there. Not too long after getting divorced from this Edward Guthrie guy, Gertrude and her ex-husband John, the baby daddy of all of her four kids, they end up, like, getting back together. They remarry. They stay together for another seven years, have two more babies. Damn, Gertrude got that wop. She's just bringing in the guys. (laughs) 
And then bringing back the same guy. That yeah. She lived for 10 years, divorced. Because she got that wet guy. ass pussy. Yes, right back uh, with this motherfucker. Make that pullout game weak. Make that pullout <laughs> game weak. Ah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So now, so they, they divorce again by 1963. Okay. She's out of this, this guy, this John guy, whatever, no longer. Now Gertrude is 37 years old, and she moves in with 23-year-old Dennis Wright, who was also abusive. Oh, no. Things are not going great. Yeah. She got pregnant by him two times, but she lost one, supposedly as a result of the abuse. Oh, no. What the fuck? Kind of fucked up. Yeah. And at this point, so she has six total kids already at this point, all of them from that Banazowski guy, Banazowski, whatever. Um, that's Paula, who was 17 years old at this point, John, who was 12, Stephanie, who was 15, Mary, who was 11, Shirley, who was 10, and then James, didn't get an age for that kid. Interesting. And then this kid who made it. Okay. And his name was Dennis Jr., named after Dennis. Okay. Right. She has seven total kids. Shit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Seven kids, that's it. I think seven's enough. Leave it. You could have <laughs> yeah. left it at six and you would have been fine. You could have left, left it at four. You could have left it like two and you're okay. Yeah. Honestly, she should have left it there. Yeah. Shortly after this Dennis Jr. kid was born, Dennis Sr. pieced the fuck out. He just disappeared. He's like, fuck this. Not for me. And it left Gertrude genuinely fucked. Like, she- Well, had, I bet. He was, his, he was the provider. He was doing everything. So she was not working. She's now in a situation with seven kids, no job, rare but occasional child support checks from that John guy. Her, oh, no. Her baby daddy. Yeah. So she was not really doing so well. So she would do odd jobs for the, like, the folks around town, like laundry and babysitting. But really, ultimately, it was not going well. This woman was dirt poor. That is so sad. She could not provide for her family. Yeah. So when she had the opportunity in this situation to charge $20 a week to take on two more kids, she's like, oh, it's just two more kids. Like, I've already got seven. Like, (laughs) What's nine? (laughs) Yeah. She's like, literally, it's no big deal. Um, And they were were two, like, perfectly capable, like, teenage children. They were going to be fine. So she takes him in. Lester did not check the home. The dad, he did not like check the home. He's just sitting with this woman that he just fucking met. She's like, maybe I could take in your kids. He's like, you know what? That'd actually be fucking perfect. Oh my God. So if he had checked the home, he would have seen that uh, that the home had no stove or microwave. There were only enough beds for half of the people in the home. The only things in the pantry were like bread and crackers sitting on like layers and layers of dirt. Every surface in this lady's home was just like like filthy but he didn't even look around he's just like thank god this woman wants to take my kids and for like so i'm I'm not saying twenty dollars was incredibly cheap back then but like cheaper than he could have probably hoped for yeah so obviously like he wants to take it i'm not blaming him he what happens in this story is not on these parents but at the same time like i hope that it does give people the the insight to be like no genuinely look into who you're leaving your kids with and yeah look into where and look into everything of don't course. just leave your kids with anybody yeah definitely not some random fucking woman you just met and definitely like he was in a difficult situation but like yes do check. Do check. Like, for real. Do check. There were only enough dishes for three people. And at this point, there were nine kids with Sylvia and Jenny. And then, So, ten total. Yes, ten total. And then Gertrude herself. Fuck. Yeah. The first week of, like, the girls living there, like, the dad and the mom go off to their carnival shit. And the first week goes, like, overall pretty well. The girls went to school and church and, like, functions with, like, all of Gertrude's kids, the Banazowski, Banazowski kids. Sounds pretty wholesome. 
Yeah, and things were, like, not really bad at all. But then when Lester's $20 payment didn't come in the mail, like, on the exact day that this woman was expecting it, she needs the fucking money. And she also has an ex-boyfriend who's, a like, an asshole mm-hmm. who keeps on trying to come at her for, like, money and shit. So she has no money. She doesn't get the money. She loses her fucking mind. Yeah. She starts screaming at Sylvia and Jenny, screaming things like, I took care of you two bitches for nothing. <gasps> And she forces them to lay on her bed with their skirts and underwear pulled down while she, like, beat their bare butts with, like, a paddle. What the fuck? It wasn't this their fault. This is just fault. how it starts. This is just how it starts, bro. Oh, I know. But that wasn't their fault. No. No. Oh, the check is late and they have absolutely nothing they can fucking do about that? Oh, my God. Yeah. So, like, this became, like, kind of a common thing where, like, they would mail the checks out and they maybe they wouldn't get there on the exact day that this woman was expecting them, that Gertrude was expecting it. So, these beatings became more and more regular. Fuck. Eventually, she, w- she would get the check every week, but every time that she didn't get it exactly when she wanted it, take it out on these two girls. That is so really sad. sad. And then by mid-August, so this is all in 1965, they, like, go and start living with them in the summer. By mid-August, the abuse had been focused, like, mostly on Sylvia. Jenny was, like, this poor girl with, like, fucking polio mm-hmm. and a limp, and she was already not doing so hot. So it really did get focused on Sylvia, who was this really pretty girl. Like, she was fun. Popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Gertrude kind of saw this as, like, a threat. Is what I gather. What the fuck? Mm, she Isn't like, she like a grown ass woman? Yeah, but she has a bunch of like teenage daughters and she's like, mm, what I don't the know. fuck? Okay. Yeah. All right. So Gertrude was like a frail woman. She, she smoked a lot of cigarettes and was like constantly like coughing and just not doing so well. Her like. I imagine her having like one of those voices where it's like, hey, you toots. You, you know what I mean? Think, like very like. Think. And then she was also kind of a smaller, like frailer woman. She's not a tiny mm-hmm. or anything, but she would. If you look at her, you wouldn't think she's incredibly intimidating. Yeah. When she would get so sometimes Gertrude would get too tired, like physically unable to continue to beat Sylvia. So in that instance, the seventeen-year-old daughter Paula would step in and take over. What the fuck? And would beat Sylvia in place of her mom doing it. That's so fucked up. It's genuinely so fucked up. Paula and Sylvia had originally gotten along. So this is the 17-year-old girl who had initially invited her over for the fucking sleepover. Yeah, she was the one that wanted to help. Yes, but this is the fucking thing. So Paula got pregnant by an older married man very shortly after the girls had first moved in. Oh, fuck. Mm -hmm. An older married man. It's definitely not something that Gertrude wants to hear. Yeah. It's a whole fucking thing. And in the 19th... I mean, even now, if you were to do that, it's still not good. Like, yeah. it would still be, like, seen as a thing. But back in the day, like... You'd be shunned from society. Yes, 100%. Good. Yeah. The married man broke up with Paula as soon as he found out that she was pregnant. And Gertrude could not accept, like, that her daughter was pregnant. And there... I mean, if you watch the movie, this was a little bit, like, confusing for me. But when I watch the movie, when it gets to, like, the that point when Paula gets pregnant, it says that she had, like, begged Sylvia, who was the only person who knew, not to tell anyone. And then Sylvia, when this girl was about to get raped by that same guy who didn't know she was pregnant, Sylvia, oh like, told told the guy that she that Paula was pregnant and was and this real so that's the thing i in all the stories i read i'm going to tell you what what i got from like articles and what i got from like research but the movie seems to make it seem kind of like a different thing okay the, what i gathered to be the true story is that this guy broke up with her as soon as he found out that she was pregnant and gertrude couldn't accept the fact that her daughter was pregnant so she doesn't want anyone to know about this but she's like there's i mean a baby coming 
So Gertrude, this fucking like 37, 40 year old, I don't know how old she is at this point. This woman is spreading these lies and like shit through the neighborhood, which the kids would carry through school. And it was this whole thing. She has so many fucking kids about Sylvia being a thief, a liar and a prostitute. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. It became the rumor that it was actually Sylvia who was pregnant with a married man's child. What the All fuck? All because of this woman. I hate this bitch. I hate this bitch. Gertrude. Yes. Suck Gertrude my dick. Banazuski or whatever the fuck. Ugh. Yes. So, and keep in mind, like, these, these two girls do have parents who, like, care about them. So, periodically, Lester and Betty would come and, like, check on the girls, and neither Sylvia or Jenny would ever say anything about the beatings, presumably because Gertrude was threatening them. I Like, assume. you don't say shit. Yeah. Right? Every time that the parents would come by, nothing looked suspicious, no one would say anything, so they'd yeah. leave feeling good about the whole situation. Oh, no. Yeah. And another fucked up thing that happened is when a few of Gertrude's kids, some of the Banaszewski kids, went up to Gertrude after a church event and they told her how disgusted they were with the amount of food that they had seen Sylvia eating. Like, at this church event, she'd just been eating some food. She's fucking hungry. Whatever. So Gertrude gets so fucking angry that Sylvia would eat too much and ruin her physical appearance. What? Mm Mm-hmm. That she... So, like, her and, like, some of the kids, Gertrude and some of the kids force Sylvia to eat, like, a bunch of hot dogs, like, covered in, like, all kinds of condiments, which she ends up puking up, and then they force her to eat her puke. Oh, my God. Literally, like, scoop it off the ground and eat her own puke. That's disgusting. And it was not just Gertrude, but the kids are slowly starting to get, like, more involved. Like, Paula starts beating her when Gertrude can't. Yeah. And then she has seven other fucking kids who also happen to have friends, so it's about to go real downhill so fucking quick. Starting with making this poor girl eat her own puke and getting spanked on her bare bottom. That is disgusting. Yeah. Genuinely disgusting. Yes. Gertrude, this goddamn woman, is such a fucking bitch. Sylvia and Jenny were were close to her daughter, who was 15-year-old Stephanie. So Gertrude and Paula, together, this fucking asshole and her 17-year-old daughter, start this rumor that Sylvia had told Stephanie's boyfriend, his name's Coy Hubbard, Okay. That Stephanie and Paula were prostitutes. So she's saying that Sylvia's saying that about these girls. And he, she, the, this and one of these girls mother, is the pregnant girl, right? The one starting the rumor, yes. Okay. What the fuck? Why? What? It's Why? It's ridiculous, right? It's like, what kind of petty high school shit is this? It's honestly hard for me to follow. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. Why? But it is causing some fucking problems for Sylvia. So Sylvia never actually said anything, but this, like, after being told this, this Coy Hubbard kid is, like, provoked to physically attack Sylvia, and Gertrude encouraged all of the kids to join in just wailing on Sylvia. Oh, my God. Yeah. What the fuck? Genuinely so fucked up. I could not even fucking tell you. This, honestly, the how this shit gets so much more awful, oh, and yeah. it's honestly, to me, shocking that this is real. Mm-hmm. You can't treat people like this. No, it's one of the most disgusting you, cases I've Gertrude, ever heard. Fuck you, Paula, and fuck about every other kid who comes into this situation. Yeah. So it was around this like same time that Gertrude convinced Sylvia's best friend, whose name was Anna, that Sylvia had been telling everyone at school that Anna's mom was a whore. What the fuck? This middle-aged woman is telling this 13-year-old girl, hey, Sylvia says your mom's a whore. What the fuck? Right? I... Wh- Why are you doing this? 
Because she hates this girl for some reason? For some reason, because she's cute and successful and yeah. she has so much potential and she could be something. And she also doesn't want her to, like, destroy her physique by eating. Why do you care about her eating? I think it's pretty much just anything she did, she would find something wrong with it. Yes. So back at the house, Gertrude encouraged Anna, this girl who she just said Sylvia was talking shit on her mom. She en- Gertrude encourages Anna to violently attack Sylvia. Holy shit. Violently attack her. And then after this, Gertrude tells one of Paula's friends, the pregnant girl's friends, Judy, that Sylvia had been spreading rumors about her mom. Dude, what the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? Uh, this girl must have been so convincing, too. Like, right? genuinely. I don't fucking... Because I feel like... The movie did a good job of making her seem like she was the type of lady who, like, would be able to convince kids to do shit. Yeah. But, like... But imagine, like, if my mom came up to you and was like, hey, Sav, Maddie has been telling people that your mom's a whore. I think you'd probably come up to me and be like, have you done this? And I'd be like, no. Very What the weird. fuck? And this is now two people who she's like, oh, yeah, Sylvia's saying your mom's a whore. Why is she doing this to this poor girl? She literally did nothing to her. She did nothing to her. She did nothing to her. This woman's making $20 a week off of her. Yeah. <sighs> so, um, this, this girl, Judy, who also was thinking that Sylvia's talking shit on her mom, is also encouraged to beat the shit out of Sylvia. Oh my god. And it was during this fight that Gertrude tells Jenny, Sylvia's little fucking sister, that she needs to punch Sylvia. She needs to get involved. And Jenny's like, absolutely not. I will not punch her. Yeah. Gertrude starts beating Jenny because she won't beat Sylvia. And finally she caves and she's like, okay. And she goes and she punches her sister. And that's so sad to me. But also imagine this poor girl in her situation. Yeah. She already has polio. Like Mm -hmm. she's already in a lot of pain. She's already suffering. And it's threatened on her. There's, like, literally nothing else you could do. And what I got is Sylvia kind of gave, gave off the vibe. She's like, do what you need to do to me to save you. Yeah. Which breaks my soul, but I think Sylvia was genuinely such a good person. Yeah, I like, agree. Genuinely. Yeah. So, in August of 1965, the house next door had been, like, vacant for, like, some months. A f- middle-aged couple, Phyllis and Raymond Vermillion, bought the home. Phyllis had seen how many kids Gertrude took care of, and she's like, oh, wow, like, maybe she'd be a great babysitter for my two kids. Oh, no. So, she invites the family over for a barbecue. And at this barbecue, Phyllis noticed that Sylvia was just walking around, like, with a black eye. Oh. Paula is like, oh, yeah, that's me. I did that shit. I gave her that black eye. And with everyone there and watching, Paula goes up to Sylvia with a glass of steaming hot water and threw it in her face. Like, Holy steaming shit. hot water. This incident went completely unreported by Phyllis and her husband, Raymond. They what watched the this. Fuck? They did not. I don't think they sent their kids to be babysat by by Gertrude. Yeah. But they did not do shit about it. They did not report a thing. Why Paula would proudly you not? was like, yeah, I fucking did that shit. What? Why the fuck would you not? I don't know. I don't know. And like, I'm, I don't want to hold anything against these people, but I'm going to say as the story goes on, I hold some shit against these people. Yeah. No, that's really fucked up. At mm-hmm. the very least, they should have gone to Gertrude and been they like, were on um, the outside. what? Yeah, at least something. They were on the outside and they... You know that they knew that that's wrong. Yes, 100%. They didn't do shit. They probably were like, oh, it's just like a kid-like thing. No. Unfortunately, it was not. No. Never in any universe would it be. No. 
So it was two months after this whole incident had happened that Phyllis, the next door neighbor, went over to Gertrude's house to borrow something. She was only there for like a few minutes, but in that time that she was there, she noticed Sylvia walking around, like wandering, like she was in like a daze with a black eye so bad that it was swollen shut and big, like puffy, puffy, swollen lips. Oh no. Like it genuinely fucked up and just wandering like she was in like some sort of daze. Yeah. Paula demonstrated to Phyllis. Paula's like, oh yeah, no, this is how I did it. And she literally takes her belt off and beats Sylvia literally in front of Phyllis. What? And guess what? This too went unreported. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. Why did no one care about this girl? I could not tell you, but it actually enrages me. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. So it was not too long after that whole thing that Sylvia, at, at school, she needed a new sweatsuit for gym class, and Gertrude said that they couldn't afford one. So Sylvia, like, trying to look out for herself, steals one from school. Okay. From someone at school. Gertrude pressed her about it when she was like, hey, where'd you get your new gym clothes? And Sylvia caved and she told the truth and she was like, I stole it from school. So it threw her into a fucking rage somehow about Sylvia being a prostitute, not so much about like- Her stealing the gym clothes? The stealing thing, yeah. So it really became about that. So she throws Sylvia on the ground and keeps like repeatedly kicking her in the crotch. Oh my God. Mm Mm-hmm. And then she's like, all the while she's screaming at her and then she returns it back to the theft issue and she's like- To cure Sylvia of her sticky fingers, she burned the tips of each of (gasps) Sylvia's fingers with a lit cigarette. Jesus Christ. Each of her fingertips. That's fucked up. Brutal. Like, And also, it kind of seems like this woman, Gertrude, is like pushing her own insecurities onto Sylvia because Mm -hmm. like she has multiple baby daddies. None of these people want to stay with her. She just has a bunch of kids. She probably feels like a fucking prostitute. She can't provide for them. No, she probably feels like a genuine like whore. You know what I mean? Like she probably felt that way about herself. So she's just like pushing it on this kid for Mm -hmm. no reason. No reason. Afterwards, she she was whipped with a belt. And all of the smokers in the home, which apparently were many, apparently like, a lot of these kids like were smoking stoves. But Gertrude really like she was smoking hella stoves, so it was like I don't know. These kids were kind of predispositioned to yeah, it, as they were too with abuse as well. Yeah, exactly. So all of the smokers in the home began putting their cigarettes on Sylvia to remind her not to steal. Later, Sylvia went out with Jenny to collect old glass like Coca Cola bottles to like sell for money, like get like the recycling money from it okay so that they could just buy some candy that's all that jenny and sylvia wanted when she got home with the candy gertrude again accused her of prostitution oh my She's god like, you were out prostituting yourself for money and that's how you got your candy so gertrude takes her into the living room forces her to strip naked in front of all of like her gertrude's sons and all of the neighborhood boys who Ew. Friends with them. and she said like and if she didn't do it gertrude said that she would beat jenny Aww. so she's like you can either do this strip naked I'm going to beat your polio-ridden sister. Yep. So, uh. obviously, Sylvia took the hit. She was t- got totally naked. Gertrude gave her an empty glass Coca-Cola bottle and forced her to masturbate with it for the boys. Ew, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. And all the while, Gr- Gertrude kept saying for Sylvia to prove to Jenny what kind of girl you are. Ew, what in the fuck is wrong a with whore, this bitch? A whore, a prostitute. Is yeah. what she was really fucking getting at and it was so fucked up here's the thing that just really proves that sylvia is like a really good person because put in this situation i would have killed this bitch i would fucking so clearly this girl is getting abused at home fucking no questions asked yes that is 100% happening but she's still like enjoying going to school so she goes to school at arsenal technical high school 
in Indianapolis. And her teachers started getting concerned when Sylvia's absences started becoming more and more frequent. She's, like, not showing up to school. And when she does show up to school, she's not looking in too good of shape. Okay. Um, so the school reaches out to Gertrude and asks for, like, just an explanation as to why she was missing so much school. And Gertrude kind of played along with the concern. She's just, like, she would explain away the absences with whatever, like, bullshit. And then she would be like, yeah, I'm so concerned about, like, her, like school ethic and like her education literally all just to show but it did get the school to kind of lay off of her a little bit oh my god i don't know how i don't know why i hate this bitch i really do this whole time gertrude is like threatening the fuck out of both sylvia and jenny saying that if they said anything to anyone it would not just be sylvia getting beat but like jenny as well Mm. um and jenny was already sick with her limp and she was also already getting bullied at school and by the girls in the neighborhood for being just kind of different and yeah not having real parents around and everything like it's an uncomfortable situation for her yeah already on top of the fact that her sister is getting brutally beaten at home and more than and more than yeah so the last that lester and betty had like come and like seen their girls Still, nothing was said to them, and nothing even kind of alluded to the fact that there was this much abuse being, like, taking place in the home. Yeah. These parents didn't really seem to realize. So, on one occasion in September of 1965, this is all in the same year, these girls were only with this family, this woman and her abusive children, for, like, a few months. It was not a long amount of time um but it's september of 1965 and jenny and sylvia are like out at the park they run into their sister diana their older sister one of the older twins okay Mm -hmm. they run into her at a park by happenstance and both of them immediately are telling her about the abuse that they've been suffering at the hands of gertrude and they specified that sylvia was like taking the like the hit of everything yeah and they didn't mention exactly where they lived but like Diana was like, eh, it's not something I need to really look into. Like, they're probably just being dramatic. They just don't like living there. What? I know. What? I fucking know. Diana uh... was not taking them seriously. So she doesn't really leave and listen. But apparently, like, weeks earlier, like, not too many weeks, but not too long ago, they had just run into her before at, like, the same park that they ran into her this time. But the, the problem was that they were there with one of Gertrude's kids. Okay, so, one of so they the, couldn't say anything. They couldn't say anything. So the first time that they run into her, Sylvia had just mentioned that she was hungry, so her sister gave her a sandwich. And later, when they had gotten home after that situation, the daughter that was with them tells Gertrude about what had happened and how Sylvia had said that she was hungry and her sister gave her a sandwich. So Paula and Gertrude, the 17-year-old daughter and, and Gertrude, start accusing fucking Sylvia of being gluttonous. What the fuck? So her and Paula choke and bludgeon her. Then they put her in a scalding hot bath to cleanse her of sin. What the fuck? And when she would faint from, like, the abuse and, like, the heat of the tub, yeah. she was, like, not handling Like, shocked, dude. Yeah. When she would faint and, like, pass out from the shock of it all, Gertrude would grab her by the hair and repeatedly bang her head against the bathtub to, like, wake her up. Holy shit. What the fuck? Yeah. What the fuck? At this point, Sylvia was locked in the basement full-time. She was getting constant physical abuse. She was not being fed. After the Coke bottle incident, this Mm -hmm. is so fucking sad to me. After the Coke bottle incident, she had become incontinent, which means that she she lost most of her control of her, like, urination and defecation. Yeah. She could not control when she 
peed or when she pooed and that was not on fucking her it was from the abuse that she suffered of having to deal with this shit yeah that is so sad gertrude seems that she's no deems that she's no longer fit to live with everyone else so that's why she's locked in the basement she has no toilet she has to piss and shit on the fucking floor oh my god And because of how fucking dirty she was gertrude would call her a dirty girl and would give her, like, a bathing regime to cleanse her. Gertrude would fill her tub up with scalding hot water, bind Sylvia's wrists and ankles, and would, like, dunk her into the... Oh, my God. Scalding, burning hot fucking water. She would do this to her sometimes once a day, sometimes multiple times a day, sometimes not at all. But after the baths, Paula would then run, like, rub handfuls of salt all over Sylvia's naked <gasps> body, literally putting salt in her wounds. Yeah, that is so Scrubbing salt up. in her genuine physical wounds. Yeah. Mm-mm. Fucking no. kill me. I'll tell you what. So G- Gertrude, at this point, she takes on a 14-year-old personal assistant. His name is Ricky Hobbs. Gertrude does? Gertrude does. Why? Because she can somehow get all of the kids in this goddamn neighborhood to... Do her every beck and call. What the fuck? So she gets this 14-year-old kid, Ricky Hobbs. Later, it was suspected maybe that she was fucking this kid. <gasps> I would There is surprised. no confirmation on that, so I'm not going to say for sure. But the relationship that they had and everything that was going on, it does definitely allude to that. Yeah, I wouldn't even be surprised. Don't That's have the super disgusting. Definitely fucked up. Yeah. If true. And I would not be surprised if it's fucking true. Yeah. So this kid was an honor student. He came from a middle class family. He had no prior like legal trouble or really any trouble of any sort. But when he became her assistant, he everything changed. He was doing anything she asked. He was his he was her right hand man. Yeah. Man. Manned. <laughs> and at this point, Sylvia became like a money-making opportunity for, like, the kids in the neighborhood. Like, and what? the Banazowski kids, the Banazowski kids, whatever the fuck you call that fucking name. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Don't apologize. Fuck these people. <laughs> fuck these people. So these kids would charge other neighborhood children a nickel to, like, look at Sylvia naked, to, like, gawk at her. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. Or even just push her down the stairs. You could what? pay, these neighborhood kids would pay money to push her naked body, fucked up as it is, down the stairs. Oh my god. So, I truly hate it. I feel like I literally have nothing to say as you tell me this story. It's just literally awful. It's just genuinely awful. Yeah. So she was kept naked and barely, if at all, fed. When she was allowed to eat, it was never something good and she would have to eat it with her hands. She was never given utensils or anything like that. Gertrude and her 12-year-old son, John, would make Sylvia clean the basement by forcing her to eat her own shit and she was forced to pee in a container and drink it. And on a couple of occasions, she was even forced to eat Gertrude's one-year-old baby's diaper-like remnants. That's fucking disgusting. This girl was put through absolute hell. Yeah. Oh my god. And it's a it makes me so breaks sad. my soul, bro. Yeah. So Jenny had been working on trying to find a way out of the home for her and Sylvia. She was like, clearly I have to do something. There wasn't anything that she could necessarily do in the home, but she manages to reach out and contact Diana, the sister that they had been trying to reach out to. And she fully outlined in this like message to Diana the horrific things that had been happening back at Gertrude's house. And she asked Diana Diana Please call the police. Yeah. That's all she asked. Diana ignored this request because she assumed that Jenny just didn't like living there or she didn't like being what? punished. So she was just making up these elaborate stories that she, so that she could come live with her instead. That's what she thought. She's like, oh, they want to live with okay, me. Okay, what the fuck? As a young, like, 
adolescence, I don't know how you would be able to come up with these types of stories. Like, no. I couldn't even fabricate this in my own mind. This is so goddamn awful that if someone came to me and said this was happening to them, I would say, we're taking this seriously, even if it is all just a lie. Yes! Take it seriously. Exactly! Like, if someone came up to me and was like, tell me, like, the worst kind of torture you could think of, I would be like, um rip my nipples off i don't know Ow. nothing this elaborate no. you know what i mean or this like this is crazy and like very detailed mm-hmm. oh my god so she doesn't call she does not call the police what she's basically she doesn't, even, she doesn't even reply to the fucking message and it was around this time that 12 year old girl judy who late earlier on gertrude had said that sylvia called her mom a whore mm-hmm. this girl tells her mom that at gertrude's house they were beating and kicking sylvia and this girl's mom said that's what happened when you have to punish someone what and what the f- so i don't know what? if this girl maybe said all of the details but she did say oh yeah they were beating and kicking her we were beating and kicking her and this mom's just like oh well looks like she was getting punished huh I mean, I hate it. It's not okay. I do hate it. I don't know. I truly don't understand that standpoint, but I guess I could see, like, if her daughter just told her, like, oh, yeah, she called you a whore, and so, like, we kicked the shit out of her, Mm -hmm. I'd be like, okay. Yeah. But, like, she didn't go into detail about the fact that, like, everything this is way more than that and sylvia didn't even fucking do there that there are a lot of neighborhood kids involved Ugh. in this because gertrude would just be like everybody beat the shit out of her and everyone would and they were all kids so disgusting far too willingly if i was told doesn't matter how old if i was told to beat the shit out of someone i would be like yeah i happen to just be a human being yeah and know that that's wrong maybe it's a little bit different for like Gertrude's own kids just that's because hard. like that's, that's their mom that's their and mom. she's like saying do this and you're leading but like, the neighborhood kids example. if someone fucking did that hell no no hell no no absolutely not this is so wildly frustrating yes like I know myself as a child I fucking know yeah. that I would not participate no. in that shit and you don't even have to be an older child to understand no you don't no absolutely so not so fuck them kids mm-hmm Again, it's so crazy how rapidly all this happens because it's all within, the, like, the course of just a few months. So not too long after this whole thing with the mom happened, the reverend of their church, Roy Julian, visited the home just to, like, check in with them. He was doing, like, a thing where he was going to everybody's yeah. house and just checking in. And while he and Gertrude sat and drank some coffee, Gertrude complained and complained the whole time about what a huge burden Sylvia was on her, telling him all the same bullshit lies about how she's a prostitute, that she's pregnant, whatever. This whole time, though, Paula, Gertrude's, like, daughter who's genuinely actually pregnant, is just like, oh, yeah, she's, it's Sylvia. Sylvia's pregnant. Whatever. It's only been a few months, so it's not like she's, like, wildly, yeah. They're trying to say that Sylvia's fucking pregnant. What Sylvia the didn't do fuck? Shit, bro. Sylvia didn't do shit. So finally, Diana, the girl's sister who they'd been trying to reach out to and kept being like, that's bullshit. You just don't want to live there. Yeah. She's like, okay, you know what? Maybe I should go check out the place they're staying. Like, just make sure that they are actually okay. So Diana goes over to Gertrude's house and Gertrude refuses to let her in. What? Straight up. Mm-hmm. Initially, Gertrude refuses to let her into the home, saying that Lester had instructed her not to allow Diana into the home, saying that, like, their the girl's dad had said, no, Diana's not allowed to come see them. Okay. And Diana's like, that doesn't make sense, that he wouldn't say that. 
So then Gertrude's like, dude, get the fuck off my lawn or I'm going to call the police and have you arrested for trespassing. Hmm. So Diana ends up being like, okay, fuck. She goes and she like kind of like just hides out by like behind like a nearby bush and she's just like watching the house. Okay. Seeing what's happening. She sees Jenny come out. She's like, Jenny, my sister, my dude. Mm -hmm. So she goes over to talk to her and she's just like, hey, like what's going on? Like what the fuck? I didn't think you guys were serious. And Jenny's like, I'm not allowed to talk to you and runs away. Oh, this poor girl. Mm-hmm. So Diana is like, fuck, no, something actually is up. So she calls social services. Thank God, fucking finally. Mm-hmm. Should have been done so much earlier. Yep. And this when a social worker got out to the house, Gertrude tells the worker that Sylvia had been kicked out for being physically unclean and for being a prostitute. So <laughs> she's trying to tell this, this social worker Sylvia doesn't live here anymore. And then that after letting Sylvia back into the home, Sylvia had decided to run away. So she's like, she doesn't, she's not even here. She didn't want to deal with my rules or my shit. So she's gone. Really though, in reality, she's fucking naked and bloody in this fucking basement. That's when you have to do a check of the house. Absolutely. Check shit out. Like what the fuck? shit out. Oh my God. It infuriates me. (sighs) During this time, Gertrude had like pulled Jenny aside and said that if she said anything, anything to the fucking social worker, she'd end up in the same position as Sylvia. So nothing was said to the social worker to lead her to believe anything different. The social worker believed the story and wrote up a report saying that no further, like, social action was needed. Oh, no. It's now October 20th, 1965. Gertrude had called the police to have a boy, Robert Hanlon, arrested at her home. He had claimed that Gertrude's kids had stolen things from him, so he went over to their house earlier in the evening demanding that they give him his shit back. But she refused, so his plan was, okay, I'm just going to hang out, wait, and then late at night, I'm going to sneak back in there. And when he was trying to sneak back in there, she calls the police. Okay. As this kid's getting arrested, guess who comes up? Phyllis and what's-his-name Vermillion, next-door neighbors. And they come out and they talk to the police and they, like, kind of talk about the thing. Never do they mention any of the shit that was happening with Sylvia to the police. What the fuck is wrong with everyone in this story? It doesn't make sense to me like genuinely what the fuck what the fuck it's now october 21st gertrude had john jr which is her son that kid koi the her personal assistant no koi is the oh the daughter's boyfriend. boyfriend yes yes and then stephanie koi's girlfriend bring sylvia up from the basement and tie her upstairs to a bed Jesus Christ. Sylvia was told that if she could hold her bladder through the night, she would be allowed to sleep upstairs again. Oh, no. The next morning, she can't control her bladder. She peed the bed. Yeah. And it's found that she had wet the bed. And the punishment was a do-over of the stripping naked in front of all the neighborhood kids <gasps> and Gertrude's kids and masturbating with the whole Coke bottle. Yeah. Oh, my God. Fucked her up. What caused her the bladder issues in the in first place. In the first place. place. Exactly. Oh and I genuinely think that's the, the worst. Ugh. So when she was allowed to, like, stop and she was allowed to put on some clothes, then Gertrude starts losing her shit again. This is all that same night. Gertrude starts losing her shit again, saying that with all the lies that Sylvia has told about her daughters, she didn't tell any lies. No. This woman's making it literally all up. She has it in her head that Sylvia actually told these lies about her daughters, and she says, you've branded my daughters, so I'll brand you. After which, she was... Sylvia was stripped naked, tied down, gagged, and one of the kids heated up a sewing needle. And when it was red hot, Gertrude used it to carve and burn letters into her stomach. She started, like, writing on this girl's stomach. Yeah. Hobbs, the assistant, the kid, took over to finish the job, which ended up saying, like, like, after all the letters were put on there, 
I'm a prostitute and proud of it. Oh my god. And I listened to an interview of this kid talking about it. Okay. And he talks about it like he was doing it. He was he just was doing young, it. like I understand, especially if he was being like sexually like assaulted by this woman. I really feel like that has to be the answer. But yeah. again, as I told you before, there is no confirmation, but it makes the fucking most sense. I wouldn't put a pastor. No, I really not wouldn't. at all. So this woman's already horrible enough. Yeah. So when the "I'm a prostitute and proud of it" was finished on her stomach, the branding was both actually, like, carved into her, literally, as well as, like, third degree burned into her. Oh my so God. bad that modern plastic surgery wouldn't be able to even do very much for her. Oh, my it God. It was so bad. Ugh. The pain that this girl probably I hate felt. this. That I know this girl for sure felt. Yeah. Is just awful. It literally breaks my heart. Same night. With her still gagged and bound, now branded as well, Gertrude leaves the room and some of the kids add like an S to the middle of her chest. Just the kids on their own are like, let's brand a little S into her chest. And they, at this point, they kind of like banter back and forth over whether it was supposed to be for Sylvia or Slave. Oh my God. Gertrude comes back into the room and says, what are you going to do now, Sylvia? You can't get married now. You can't undress in front of anyone. What are you going to do now? And Sylvia was ungagged so that she could reply to this. And she says, I guess there's nothing I can do. It's on there. Oh, my God. This poor girl. She accepted what the fuck was And at this point, she literally can't even fight back. She's so weak. She can't do shit. She's not being fed. She's being forced to eat her own fucking feces. Yeah. She has nothing left she can do. And so she just says, I guess it's on there. There's nothing I can do. Oh, my God. Uh Breaks my soul in a thousand pieces. <sighs> this whole story. Yeah, I know. Really Sorry for the heavy up. fucking topic, guys. But there's a movie. <laughs> I warned you. So watch it. <laughs> I warned you. It's. I sent some like this list of like horror movies she inspired did. by like true crime, and I was like, she told this me I should really pick good. this not so heavy topic. Yeah, and then I was like, ah, that's a good one. But I picked my. Topic. Yes, I told her she should pick Nightmare Nightmare on Elm Street because it was inspired by these people, like a whole bunch of people that like died in their sleep after like horrible nightmares, and she was like, genuinely actually. Terrible. Well, here's the thing. I will say that, like, when I first started getting into, like, true crime or crude crime or whatever the fuck, this is, like, actually covered by many podcasts. Like, you can look up pretty much, like, any of your favorite crew crime, true crime podcasts, and you'll find this story. And it's interesting to hear what everybody else is able to find on it. It's an essential story because it really is, like, it's fucked up. It is fucked up and it's real. And this genuinely happened to this girl and people genuinely did this to her. And it is fucked. And it shows true human evil, which... Yes, it does. True crime is all about. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Welcome to Crew Crime, True Crime Podcast. Hashtag fuck Gertrude. Fuck Gertrude. (laughs) And also fuck Paula and fuck fuck them kids. Fuck them kids. Fuck them kids. I think that's part of the title of this episode. Fuck them kids. <laughs> fuck them kids. <laughs> fuck them kids. Yeah. Fuck them. Later that night, so it's the same night, she has just been put through all of this. Yeah. The branding, the bullshit, the horror. <sighs> Later that night, Jenny sneaks back down into the basement to see her sister, and Sylvia tells her, I'm going to die, I can tell. Well, sometimes you really can tell. And I'm you really sh- can. And she could tell. Yeah. And that night, after Jenny's visit, like, still in the same night, Gertrude comes back downstairs, and she's like, okay, you know what? Let's move you upstairs, put you in a regular bed. 
She had a plan, okay? I'm sure it wasn't a good one. No, it was horrible. So she allows Sylvia to sleep in, like, a real bed upstairs. She sleeps until noon, and then the next day, it's October 23rd, she wakes up to Gertrude and Stephanie giving her a nice, like, warm, soapy bath. So not a scalding hot bath, but, like, but a, like genuine, a genuine nice bath. Nice bath. And after the bath, she gets all dressed up, like, they dress her, they buy her in clothes, and then she's forced to write a runaway letter to her parents. Fuck. So they knew she was gonna die. <sighs> they yep. had to have. They yep. have to have. There's no other reason that they would do that. Yeah. So this is how the letter goes. And Gertrude insisted that she writes, Dear Mr. and Mrs. Likens. What the f- Rather than mom and dad. Yeah. What the fuck? But she insists, so this is how the letter goes. Dear Mr. and Mrs. Likens, I went away with a gang of boys in the middle of the night, and they said they would pay me if I would give them something, so I got in the car, and they all got what they wanted. Oh my god, what the fuck? And when they finished, they beat me up and left sores on my face and all over my body. They also put on my stomach, I'm a prostitute and proud of it. I have done just about everything that I could do just to make... Gertie mad and cost her more money than she's got. Cost her more money than she's got. I've tore up a new mattress and peed on it. I also cost Gertie doctor's doctor's bills that she really couldn't pay and made Gertie a nervous wreck and all her kids. What the fuck? And Gertrude, or Gertie, I guess as everybody called her, Gertrude is telling her to write all this. And at the end, she's over here like, Gertie, I've cost her doctor bills. I've made Gertie a nervous wreck. I've fucked up all her kids. No. Gertrude, you motherfucker. Absolutely not. You did that shit, you bitch. Yeah. Fuck. After the letter, the plan was to have a few of the kids move Sylvia to a nearby garbage dump and leave her there to die. (gasps) But when Sylvia, like, overhears this little plan. Yeah. She's like, what the fuck? No. Yeah. And she tries to get up and tries to run to the door. But she's literally so fucking like malnourished and dead yeah. already honestly yeah. that she didn't even kind of make it to the door before she was already like apprehended so gertrude sits her down makes her some toast and when sylvia tried to eat the toast she was so like malnourished dehydrated and genuinely fucked up that she couldn't swallow <gasps> oh my god so gertrude's reaction to her not being able to swallow was like disrespect and she takes down the curtain rod in the kitchen and beats sylvia in the mouth with it Oh my god. That is truly awful. She was taken downstairs after this, and Gertie offered her some crackers, to which Sylvia said, feed it to the dog. It's hungrier than I am. Oh my god, Sylvia. She had given She had given up, and I feel her. She I, had I, to. What else can you do? She literally had to. I, like, literally, what else can you do? Yeah. So she said, feed it to the dog. It's hungrier than I am. And Gertie punches Sylvia repeatedly in the stomach and then leaves her alone in the basement. Oh my god. The next day, it's October 24th, and Gertrude went, like, goes down to the basement and attempts to bludgeon the shit out of Sylvia. But she's a fucking dumbass. She tries to use a chair. She misses, and she, like, breaks the chair on the wall. Doesn't hit Sylvia at all. Okay. Then she tries to use the paddle that she usually, like, spanks her with, but it, she ended up, like, swinging too far, and she ends up whacking herself. <laughs> <laughs> this bitch. She ends up whacking herself in the face and gives herself a black eye. I mean, she deserved a lot more, but... One of the other kids steps in and beats Sylvia with a broomstick until she becomes unconscious. Jesus Christ. The morning of October 26, Gertrude wanted to give Sylvia, like, a nice warm bath. Like, another regular nice bath. Why is she doing this? I genuinely do not know, and I tried to understand, and I don't fucking get it. 
Maybe she was like starting to feel some kind of guilt. I can assure you not. I can assure you not. Two of the kids brought her upstairs and like laid her in the tub, like still like fully clothed, but she had just suffered from this bludgeoning and this broomstick bullshit. And so these two kids bring her upstairs. They lay her in the tub, still fully clothed, but then they're like, dude, she's not breathing. Yeah. So they're like, fuck. So they take her out of the tub and one of the girls, Stephanie, the 15 year old, tries to give her CPR. It was far too late. This girl is dead. Yeah. 100%. I assume. So Gertrude tells the kids to take Sylvia's body down to the basement, take off all of her clothes. And then she had that like assistant kid, Hobbs, go to a nearby payphone to call the police because she didn't have a phone in her home. (laughs) What? When the police show up, Gertrude handed them the runaway letter that she had forced Sylvia to write. And amidst, like, the chaos, Jenny is like, this is my chance. Yeah. So she whispers to one of the police and she says to them, get me out of here and I'll tell you everything. Direct (gasps) quote. Get me out of here and I'll tell you everything. Fuck. This poor girl. Yes. So with that statement from Jenny, along with the police finding Sylvia's body in the fucking basement, Mm -hmm. because how would they not? On site, Gertrude is arrested, Paula, Stephanie, and John, which are all her kids. The neighbor kids, Hobbs and Hubbard, and all of those other fucking people are all arrested for first degree murder. Good. A few other kids in the neighborhood, Mike, Randy, Judy, and this kid, Cisco, were all arrested for injury to a person. An autopsy... Um, of Sylvia's body was performed. She had over a hundred cigarette burns on uh, her body, an excessive amount of second and third degree burns, oh severe God. bruising, muscle and nerve damage. Her vaginal, like her vaginal cavity, was completely swollen shut. Oh no! It was so fucked up. No. And her official cause of death was brain swelling, internal hemorrhaging of the brain, and shock. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. In court, the prosecution asked for the death penalty for everybody involved, including the 13 and 14-year-old neighbor boys. In they this were like, case, death I actually penalty agree. For all. Multiple of the kids were brought in, like, on the stand during court to give their testimonies. An 11-year-old Marie, who is Gertrude's daughter, initially was backing up everything that Gertrude was saying. But when it came time for, like, the cross-examination, other sides asking this girl the questions, she suddenly screams out, like, God help me, starts saying everything was a lie and tells in detail the abuse from Gertrude and all of the other kids. Fuck. So with that testimony, with this 11-year-old testimony, it was a shock to everybody that this girl would, like, turn on her family like that and thank God she did because mm-hmm. it really nailed Gertrude's coffin shut. Yeah. Even though the death penalty was pursued for all of them, she ended up with just life in prison with no possibility of parole. Good. Yes. Very good. Paula, the 17-year-old daughter, got second-degree murder, appealed her conviction, but before that, like, she went through and struck a plea bargain, pled guilty to voluntary manslaughter, served three years in prison, and then was released on parole. That's not okay. only served three years. Yeah, no, that's not okay. Gertrude's son, John, and the two other boys, Hubbard and her assistant, Hobbs, were convicted of voluntary manslaughter and sentenced to 18 months in juvenile prison. No. Juvie. No. Hobbs was released at 17 years old. He was the assistant who did all the carving. Yeah. He was released at 17 years old, but at that point, he had, like, realized the severity of what he'd done, and it was fucking him up, and he did not know how to handle it, so he was just heavily smoking, just kind of throwing his life away. He died of lung cancer at 21 years old. Oh, my God. That's some heavy smoking. Holy shit. 
he did not know how to handle it. I mean, I can see why. I can't imagine knowing how to handle it. No. No. Ugh. Gertrude appealed her conviction, got a new trial, and she was found guilty again this time, but she was given 18 years to life rather than her initial life in prison with no parole. Okay. At her 18 years, she had become a model prisoner. She was up for parole in 1985. At this time when she's up for parole, a petition in Indiana and, like, Indianapolis specifically had, like, been going around to everybody. 4,500 people in Indiana signed this petition to keep her in prison, Yet she was still granted parole. What the fuck? She was released December 4th, 1985, and moved to Iowa under the name Nadine Von Fossen, and she died of lung cancer in 1990. Oh my... So how long was she free for? So she was free for, like, five years. Ugh. She was free for, like, five years. An interesting thing also about Paula is, like, she, um... I thought for sure I wrote this down, but when Paula was going through her shit, when she was, like, supposed to be in court, she ended up being, like, rushed to the hospital to give birth to the baby, and she named her baby Gertrude. Can you believe that? Oh, my God. She named her baby Gertrude. First of all, fucking horrible name. Second of all, fucking worst person in the world that you named it after. Right. Genuinely. I skipped this little paragraph, but it says, During Paula's time in court, she was rushed to the hospital to give birth to that baby that her mom was denying this whole fucking time that she was going to have, and she named it Gertrude after her bitch-ass mom. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hate it. So that's my I story. It's about it. uh, fucked up. I hate it. <laughs> yep. I mean, you told it, told it well, but Thank I hate you. it. It's a god-awful story. Yeah. Like, genuinely one of the worst ones I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. So, watch the movie. It is a horror movie, but it's not like your classic horror movie. It's just like, obviously, you just heard the story. It's horrifying. Do they show all this shit in the movie? They don't show all of it. Like, the Coke bottle scene is not, like, they talk about it. Okay. Definitely. But, like, it's not, like, necessarily shown. But they kept all of the names the same. They kept, like... Good. Generally, the facts generally remain the same and i honestly thought it was a good movie yeah definitely not perfect definitely not exact god this one fucks me up this one and like you know the one i think it was in japan where those like school-aged like high school Mm -hmm. boys kidnapped that high school girl and then like tortured her like horribly for days those two cases are the ones where i'm like okay that's enough for me today that's enough true crime like bye yeah and here's the thing we listen to crew crime all the time. Yeah. We're doing our thing all the day. All the day. Every day. <laughs> all the day. <laughs> it can be too much. And, and it can be too much for anyone. one of them. For sure. Honestly, this one's fucked up. You're about to hear another fucked up story from Mads. And then... Way lighter than this one. I never <laughs> thought that fucking like five murders would be less fucking hard than this one. But here, here we, we are. are. Yeah. <laughs> Genuinely, this story fucks me up hard. I hope everyone's having a good week. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you're gonna end your story good day i hope day. you're having a good week if not <laughs> let me ruin it maybe <laughs> don't lay off the crew crime but maybe lay off the true crime after this for like yeah just a few hours <laughs> a maybe few a hours day. give yourself a break <laughs> this shit can be heavy yeah it can be sad uh, it is okay so the movie that my case was based off of is called the town that dreaded sundown 
Okay. And the murders that inspired it were the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. We hate nighttime. Yes. They <laughs> did. And for good yeah, reasons. Okay. For I very say, good reason. Wait, what is the movie? The Town That Dreaded Sundown, and we'll get into my feelings about it. And have you, you, so you watched it? I did. And was it good? I've never even heard of this. No. It was not good. And here's the thing, if there are any, like, horror fans listening to this right now, some are gonna agree that, no, it's not a good movie, and some Mm -hmm. are gonna be like, what the fuck, bitch? But, like, Mm -hmm. I'm gonna defend myself here, so... I Just defend wait. you. Thank you. <laughs> so whatever you tell me. I speak the truth. I mean, like, you know that, like, 1970s slasher movies are, like, some Your of my fave. favorite yeah. fucking movies. This one was ass. So oh, sorry okay. about it. If you're a fan, that's okay, but I was not. So the movie was made in 1976, and it's based on the Texarkana Moonlight Murders that occurred mm-hmm. in 1946. Oh, wait, so, and what, wait, what year is it now? So, it was made in 1976, and it occurred in 1946. Okay, okay. Yeah. The film follows a hooded serial killer who murders teens on lover's lanes, and it's actually a pretty fucking brutal movie. Mm. Like, the actual murder scenes are pretty grotesque. Gruesome. Very. I have the hiccups. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but the opening scene in the movie states, The incredible story you are about to see is true. Where it happened and how it happened, only the names have been changed. Which isn't entirely true. It's not entirely, so they don't ch- totally change the names? Oh, no, they do all that, but it's not entirely based on facts. Okay. The murders were, like, well, one of the murders specifically was, like, greatly exaggerated to, like, kind of fuel this cinematic terror. Right. Because one of the girls Cinema. that's murdered, yes, <laughs> one of the girls that's murdered played the saxophone. Okay. And so in the movie, she played the trombone, and the murderer, like, taped the knife onto the trombone and, like, <gasps> stabbed her with it a whole bunch in the back. Ugh. Which wasn't true. Because she played a saxophone. Yes. So, okay. like, you can't really fucking tape a knife yeah. onto a saxophone. <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but The Town That Dreaded Sundown is considered by many to be one of the first movies that helped create the slasher genre in horror films. Okay. Although slasher films like The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, mm-hmm. and Black Christmas were made a few years before it. And Psycho was too, but I don't completely know if Psycho... Like, I don't know if I would consider Psycho a slasher movie. I can feel ya. I can feel ya. It's, it's more like movie. a psychological, like, super creepy Thriller. movie. But, like, a slasher movie to me is, like, where it's, like, you don't know who the murderer is. And they come through, they key. kill a bunch of people. Yes. Like, you know, they have that whole thing going on. Yeah. I don't know if Psycho really fits that. But. I feel you. I feel you. It's my own personal It's a opinion. good movie, though. Yeah. And I thought this was really interesting. The residents of Texarkana actually watch this movie every year on the anniversary of the first real attack. What? Yeah. It's like a town tradi- tradition. 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 <laughs> but yeah, they do it every year. That's really interesting. Yeah. And Texarkana, I asked Mads about this last night when she mentioned that Texarkana is a fucking place, I yeah. guess. And it's like Texas, Arkansas, and like Kansas. Like the border. Border. Yeah. Texarkana. That's- that's so crazy. Yeah. Texarkana. What a horrible city name, but... Texarkana. Do you know how stupid Burping I was? Pod. <laughs> <laughs> when I first found out about Texarkana, I was like, is that a state? And I Googled it. You did not Google <laughs> if Texarkana Well, here's the thing. Was a state I literally fucking did. <laughs> I'd never heard about it before, and I was like, what the fuck? I would assume a city. Well, I assumed a state. Somewhere different bitch. that way. <laughs> But overall, I would rate this movie, and there's, like, a sequel that I didn't watch because it costs money on Amazon Prime, and I'm not about to do that. Yeah. But the original is, like, a 6 out of 10. Okay. It's really not that great. It's just, like, super boring. But it did get a 6. So maybe if you didn't know it was supposed to be based on, uh, like, a real true crime. No, not even then. Really? If I knew it wasn't based on a real true crime, I would give it, like, a 4. 
Oh. It was really, fuck. like, it was just super boring. It really okay. was. And, like, slasher movies in the 70s are super fun and, like, mm. interesting. So fun. Super fun. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, this one was not. Okay. It just was not good. So. Okay. The Texarkana Moonlight Murders. These murders and attacks were committed by the Phantom Killer in the city of Texarkana during the spring of 1946. Okay. Eight people were attacked, five were murdered, and this was within a period of ten weeks. Oh, my God. So he went on a rampage. how many were murdered? Five were murdered, eight were attacked brutally, and we'll get into it. So three of these people, three of Mm -hmm. these people, survived? Yes. Yes. Uh. But not without extensive injuries. Oh, my God, Mm -hmm. and trauma. So the famous Hookman legend, have you heard of this? No. You haven't heard of the Hookman legend? What's the Hookman legend, bro? Let me freestyle this real quick. So basically, (laughs) the legend is that, like, two teens are sitting on a lover's lane, and they're kind of getting hot and heavy. Mm -hmm. It's back in the day. And they hear on the radio that a, like, crazed killer has escaped an asylum nearby. Oh. And he has a hook for a hand, and everyone Uh. needs to be, like, on the lookout. And so the girl starts freaking out. She's like, fuck, like, we need to go. Nervous. Yeah, she's like, holy fuck, like, we're kind of near that, like, we need to go right now and so they leave they leave the lover's lane Mm -hmm. they get back to like the girl's house she gets out of the car shuts the door and there's a hook on the outside of her fucking car door where the hook man had hooked his hook on when they were driving away oh yeah so that's the hook man legend and that was like that yeah and that was inspired by this okay oh fuck Mm -hmm. so texarkana from what i can tell it's kind of interesting because like locals would be like Oh, this is a great town, small town energy. And then, like, you look at, like, the stats. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. They had pretty high crime rates during this time. A a small community with high crime rate is terrifying. Yes. They had, like, a decent amount of murders and robberies. Mm -hmm. So, like, I don't know. But we'll get into the first attack right here. Okay. (sighs) (laughs) They're all pretty fucked up. There's eight of them? Yeah. God. Mm-hmm. The first attack occurred on February 22nd. Jimmy Hollis and Mary Larry. Mary Larry. Mary Larry. <laughs> went on a date to a movie theater, and on their way to take Mary back to her house, they stopped on a quiet road, probably for Bible study. Lover's Lane, actually. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Only Bible study? Yeah. Yep. What else do you do? Exactly. So about after 10 minutes of studying the scripture. Of course. Yes. A man in a white hood with eye holes and a mouth hole cut out came up to the couple's car. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Oh, fuck. And then, like, they were in the midst of, like, getting hot and heavy. Hot and heavy. So, like, he just, like, approached and they had, like, no fucking idea this was going to happen. So the hooded man pointed a gun and a flashlight at the driver's side window and told Jimmy, I don't want to kill you, fellow, so do what I say. Very, like, 1940s. I don't want to kill you, fellow. I don't want to kill you, fellow. (laughs) So Jimmy and Mary got out of the car where the phantom told Jimmy to take your fucking pants off. Mm. He then proceeded to hit him over the head and crack his skull open. Oh my god. Yeah. Mary said that the sound of his skull cracking was so loud that she believed Uh. the phantom had shot him. Mm -hmm. My fuck! But he didn't. He just cracked it open. I'm not sure if he used, like, the pistol to, like, hit him in the head or, like, (sighs) something else, but... He cracked that shit Here's open. Here's the thing. I can only imagine how horrifying that noise must have been. Mm-hmm. So the Phantom then as- sexually assaulted Mary mm-hmm. and attempted to rob Mary, but oh. she didn't have anything of value to give him. She was just trying to go to a movie. She's she was trying to fuck in a car. Yes. And like- study some stri- scripture. <laughs> study some scripture. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Phantom then hit Mary and knocked her to the ground. Oh, God. 
He then told her to run, which Mary did. <gasps> no. But she was wearing high heels, so she didn't get very far. far. But at this point, I'm like, bitch, kick them shits off. Just take them off. Yeah. Like, they're already probably sticking into the ground. Take them off. Take them off. Run. Yeah. But she probably wasn't Truly. even thinking about that. She, she probably was probably just scared. trying to get away. She was just scared. Yeah. So, when the phantom caught up with her, he hit her with a bat and began to assault her and abuse her while she lay on the ground. During this, Jimmy regained consciousness after he had a skull crack and flagged down a passing car, which ended up saving their lives. Really? Yeah. So these people lived? These two lived. Oh these my two lived. god, I didn't expect the first one to be survivors. There's only one more that lives, so... Yeah. The couple survived, but had injuries that landed them in the hospital for weeks. Oh, my God. Especially Jimmy. cracked fucking skull? Mm -hmm. I literally just had chills run through my whole body. It's fucked I have a fresh tattoo, and it hurt. (laughs) (laughs) The city of Texarkana didn't really care about the attacks on Jimmy and Mary. Because crimes like these weren't actually uncommon in the city. It was like a robbery gone wrong. You know what I mean? Basically, that's how they how they viewed it. That makes sense. They're like, whatever. Have a lot of that. They're like, oh shit. Yeah. This guy didn't get what he wanted. It'd be like he lived. It wasn't like it was some murder. Exactly. If we heard about that here, oh my god. Some some fucking shit happened like that. We would all lose our minds. Yes. Yeah. Okay, but here's the second attack. Okay, second attack. Hit me with it. Yep. So on March 24th, Richard L. Griffin and Polly Ann Moore were found inside of their car on a lover's lane. They had been shot through the backs of their heads. Richard was laying in the front seat on his knees with his head in his hands and his pockets were turned inside out. As if that guy had been trying to get some shit. He was probably like robbing robbing him and like this guy was kind of just like almost in the fetal position with his head in his hands on his knees and then he just got shot through the back of the head. Polly was in the back seat of the car, but she may have been murdered on a blanket outside of the car and then placed inside afterward after she was shot. Interesting. And she may have been possibly sexually assaulted. <sighs> Conflicting reports on that Conflicting one. Conflicting reports. And then again, tell me when. This was like in the 1940s? 1946. Okay. The spring of 1946, okay. yeah. So the double murder definitely shocked more people in Texarkana than the first attack, but no one thought it was the work of a serial killer. Right. They thought it was just another fucked up incident. Like, what the fuck ever. So on April 14th, Paul Martin and Betty Jo Booker were found... Paul was found in a field, and Betty was found in the woods about a mile away from Paul's body. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. The couple had been at a veteran's party the night of their murders, where Betty played the saxophone in the band. The saxophone, not the trombone. No, saxophone. So they had left the party around, like, 1 a.m. Okay, veteran's party. Yes, which honestly seemed kind of popping at the time. There were a lot of people there. popping was... A a veteran popping was popping. I assume. (laughs) (laughs) Veteran party though, for sure. Yeah. I feel like it would back be in the nineteen forties. Oh, and, and World War like oh fuck. Oh, I've no. been doing Are we doing so history good. on the podcast? I've been doing World so good. War what two? Yeah, had just ended. <laughs> so like they're vibing. They're vibing. So Paul had been shot four times, and Betty had been raped and shot twice. Mm. Yeah, and she was really young. She was like fifteen. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. And wait, how old was what's his face? A little bit older. I didn't get an exact age, but I think he was like eighteen or nineteen. Uh, back in the day though i mean that was normal yeah so the gun used in this attack was the same used in the previous attacks which led police and residents of texarkana to believe this was the work of a serial killer absolutely here are the connections Mm -hmm. shit's starting to tie itself together oh fuck do we have a serial killer yeah probably you do yeah so now the public was like freaking the fuck out as you would be yeah full-on panic mode when Mm -hmm. people's husbands and fathers would leave for work 
the women and children would stay in a local hotel, hotel for safety. Ugh. Yeah. So, like, whether it was, like, business trips or even them just leaving for the day, they would go somewhere for safety. Scared. Yeah. So, the city quickly ran out of guns and ammunition as residents began to arm themselves for their own safety. Yeah. They fuck. were bought out. Ugh. Ammunition was gone in the city. Oh, my God. Yeah. Some people- Everyone's scared. Yes. They were fucking terrified. Mm. And it gets even crazier. I- We're only on, what, like, the fourth murder? Third. Third murder. Yeah. Third attempt. Third attack. Yeah. And he murdered two people. <sighs> yeah. So some people even crafted homemade security devices and booby traps in their homes, like full on home alone style. Full on. I like that. Where it's like someone would like <laughs> open the back door and a pan would come out and like slam them in the face. <laughs> Not even joking. Here's the thing. It's funny if you think about it in a home alone context, but not, not in this context. When you think about it like this. Yeah. These were just people like in 1946 trying to be like, fuck, what do we do? Fuck, what do you do? Yeah. It's fucking insane. Ah. Uh, mm-hmm. And the streets were basically deserted, especially during the night. Right? Yeah. Like no one was going outside. Don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> Make out in your homes, bro. Yep. Fuck in your homes. And this is when the killer gained the name the Phantom Killer because local newspapers had started calling him that, yeah, basically. Yeah, he was a phantom. He Where the really fuck was, was he? Who is this guy? Mm-hmm. And the police station was flooded with calls, especially during the night. People would call if they heard a strange noise or saw someone walking outside of their home at night. Everyone was terrified and they were super scared they would be the next to die. On edge. And yeah. no one can blame them. No, absolutely not. Not a soul. Yeah. I would be fucking shaken to my core Mm -hmm. but it did kind of suck for police because they would get a call and be like i heard a creak in my house and they'd be like okay (laughs) well like did anything else happen they'd be like no No, but i'm scared yeah and then they'd be like you're probably fine yeah go check it out see if anyone's there if someone is call us back you know what i mean like so that really sucked Uh, the fourth attack the fourth attack Mm -hmm. on may fourth we're only at the fourth Uh, so much has happened already it's insane okay so, on May 3rd, Virgil Starks was being old-timey as fuck, and he was sitting in his <laughs> living room listening to a radio. Nice. Yes. When a round from no. a twenty-two caliber shattered through his front window and hit him. What? Mm-hmm. Was he by himself? No, his wife was home. Ugh. Mm-hmm. And you're not ready for what no. happens to her. Oh. And I couldn't get exact information on where it hit him, but it was enough that he lost consciousness and- Didn't die? He didn't regain consciousness. He didn't regain consciousness. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So- Fuck! His wife, Katie Starks, heard the commotion and ran downstairs to find Virgil bleeding on the floor. Mm-hmm. And she ran to the phone to call 911 in her kitchen, but before she could complete the call, the phantom shot her twice in the face. Fuck. So, the bullets knocked out some of Katie's teeth, but she survived. Oh my god. Yeah. Katie then crawled to her bedroom to avoid the other flying bullets whizzing past her head, and then escaped through the front door while the phantom was trying to break in through her kitchen door. Jesus. And this whole time, she has been shot in the face twice. Oh my god, her teeth knocked out? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you ready for this? fucking champ! Yeah. Katie actually had a bullet stuck under her tongue while she made her escape, and it wasn't removed until she got to the hospital. God, fuck. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Hang on. We have to chill. My mouth hurts. Isn't that so fucked up? This guy shot her, like, not only in the face, but in the fucking mouth. Oh, my fuck. Yeah. So, Katie eventually made it to a nearby farmhouse, and she was taken to the hospital where she survived her injuries, 
Although her husband wasn't so lucky. No. He had died from blood loss by the time help arrived. Yeah. So I don't know where he was hit with that bullet again, but... Tragic for this woman, yeah. Katie. But at this point, people were freaking the fuck out because this dude was just murdered in his home while yes. sitting in his living room. Vibing. Being chilling, a 1940s man shit. listening to Whatever his radio. That means. <laughs> listening oh to a radio and God. drinking whiskey, I assume. <laughs> Yeah, but they were losing their minds. Yeah, dude. Yes, and one investigator said people would stand out near the front of their homes and yell at you to identify yourself before you got too close. You had to identify yourself or you would get shot. Okay. Yeah, because he was going around trying to question people, being like, what the fuck is going on? Mm -hmm. And people were like, we'll kill you if you get too close. Yeah. Yeah. Don't fucking step near my home. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Mm-hmm. So here's a little bit of, like, the aftermath and the investigation. Okay. After the attack on Virgil and Katie, police followed bloody footsteps from the home, across the highway, and into some neighboring woods. Oh my god. Where they eventually lost the trail. Ugh. It was just gone. Fuck. Dead end. Mm-hmm. Wow. How do you think that happened? Because he's the phantom. He's the phantom. He just disappeared. <laughs> I honestly think he might have, t- like, taken off his shoes. Yeah. That would make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Oh Probably, like, went Clear one way, and then was like, haha, take off my shoes, go another way. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Traces steps back in his bare feet. Mm-hmm. And there is a chance the last murder was committed by someone other than the Phantom because the gun used in this attack was a different caliber than the one used in the previous attack. Interesting. And the Emma was completely different. Yeah. Everyone else was on Lover's it, Lanes. In the home, this person mm-hmm. shot yeah. the guy. But who knows? Maybe this guy was getting ballsy. But it could have been a copycat, so It could have been a copycat. Who knows? It could have been a copycat. But local authorities had no strong leads, so they began dressing up as young couples to try and lure the phantom out, and this unfortunately did not work. And here's the thing. Let me explain this a little more. So when I say local authorities began dressing up as young couples. Yeah, what does that mean fucking... I mean these Texas state troopers, full-grown <laughs> men, mustaches, boots. Yeah. One would dress up as a teenage boy, and one would dress up as a teenage girl. Y'all look like it. I was like, dude, what was your plan here? Looks really convincing. Did you really... You think this teenage girl is gonna be six foot three with a mustache? No. The Phantom's not gonna be like, yeah. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? And I'm not joking, because I looked into this. I was like, oh, did they, like, employ local women to, like, come with them? find some people. Texas state troopers would dress up and, like, pretend make out in cars. Oh, my God. (laughs) They'd be like, hey, here's a dark, secluded spot that some guy would probably find us. (laughs) Let me put my wig on. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) But I thought this was actually kind of super cool. Okay. Teenagers also began to park on lovers' lanes. And wait for the killer so they could kill him themselves. <gasps> but this didn't work either. Ugh, it seemed like the phantom had just disappeared. Disappeared. Where is mm-hmm. he? What's he doing? Those are some badass teenagers. Yeah. Honestly, like, to fuck? be like, I'm going to take this shit on head on, yep. bitch. I'll kill you. I'll kill you. That's a real Texarkana attitude. The only attitude you need. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Texarkana. Yeah. So after a couple months without the Phantom making an appearance, the city of Texarkana slowly began to get back to some level of normalcy. Okay. People were scared still, but it had been so long since an attack that, like, people were starting to calm down. So no one has ever been charged with the murders, and it's likely that no one ever will. Really? Yeah. I, this whole time I've been hearing the story, I'm like, do you, do we know? No, we don't know who the Phantom is. He genuinely is a Phantom. Yeah. Really? So we'll get into some suspects, some of which are pretty credible. Right. I'm wildly interested. Yeah. So this guy's name. (laughs) (laughs) 
The first suspect is H.B. Duty Tennyson. H.B. Duty Tennyson. Yeah. H.B. Duty? Duty. Spelled D-O-O-D-I-E. Is that how you spell shit? Duty. Duty. Yeah. <laughs> so he was a college student at the time of the phantom attacks. Okay. Mr. Duty. Mr. Duty here. Yeah. <laughs> so Duty confessed to the murders in his suicide what? note. Oh. Yes. In the note, Duty wrote... <laughs> I do I'm so sorry. <laughs> what did he write? He wrote, Why did I take my own life? Well, when you committed two double murders, you would too. Yes, I did kill Betty Jo Booker and Paul Martin in the city park that night. Mm-hmm. And I killed Mr. Stark and tried to get Mrs. Stark. Okay, but nothing that really says for sure, hey, here are all the details that nobody knows. Yeah. I did it. Yeah. He's just vaguely saying he did it. Yeah. And we'll get into a little bit right here about... What gives it a little bit of credibility. Okay. Forensic psychiatrist Dr. John Tennyson, who happened to be Duty's cousin, oh. said that Duty had connections to all of the victims. I cannot believe Every this guy's name is Duty. I feel like I can't keep <laughs> his straight face. Duty. <laughs> <laughs> but he worked at the movie theater that many victims went to before their attacks. Oh. He was in the high school band with Betty Jo. Uh. And one of his friends lived in the same home as the sister of Katie Starks. So he is connected. He's very connected. But that's pretty much all. And he said he did it. Yeah. But that's all. That's it. So loose No, like, genuine evidence. Yep. And a suicide note. Fuck. And he killed himself. Yeah. And do you know how? Uh, shotgun. Fuck. Yeah. So the second suspect is UL Lee Sweeney, who was 29 at the time of the attacks. Mm -hmm. And this one's a little bit more credible. Okay. A local police officer noticed that cars would be stolen before each attack. Like just like any random person car. Yes. A car will be stolen and then abandoned after the attack. So it was assumed that the killer was doing this. Yes. They don't want their car connected to the crime. Steal a car. Leave the car. Boom. Random. Yep. So, the police decided to watch a parking lot where one of the cars had been abandoned before. This led the, to the arrest of Peggy Sweeney, who is Yoel's wife. Yoel's? Okay. I don't know. Yoel? I think it's Yoel. Yoel? Yoel? I don't know. Yoel. But Peggy told police in detail that her husband had killed Betty and Paul, although her statements about her own involvement in the murders varied. She probably wasn't trying to implicate herself, so she's trying to say her piece with the shit mm-hmm. and not get fucked while saying it yeah at first she was like oh i know he did it but like i wasn't there and then this is one of the statements that she gave that was kind of interesting okay peggy said that yol (laughs) yol had told her that he was going to rob someone at the park and peggy was like sure why not let's do it oh so peggy and yol approached paul's car and when peggy refused to search the couple yol shot paul twice oh yeah and then took peggy and betty into his car Shot Paul twice more from the car because he was still moving. Bitch. He saw that Paul was still alive, so he shot him again as they were driving away. Oh, my God. And drove them down the road where Yoel removed Betty from the car and shot her. Right, and she was found a mile away from the last... Okay. Yeah. When Yoel returned to the car, he told Peggy that he had tried to get some from Betty, but ended up killing her when she tried to fight off his advances. So he tells her this. Yes. 100%. Oh, my God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to believe it. Here's the thing. I kind of do. I think this is the guy. You think that this is the most viable suspect. And here's I'm getting that vibe. Yep. So Peggy told police information that only someone who was at the crime scene would have known. One example of this is the fact that Paul's date book had been thrown into the bushes during the robbery. And she mentioned that. Yes. And this was confirmed by police that it had. But not released to press, obviously. I feel like that's such a thing that they wouldn't. No. And like, here's the thing. Maybe like 
by chance they had stumbled upon this crime scene, but, like... Even still... Why would she be like, oh, no, we stumbled upon this crime scene. Maybe the, like, the police will think we did this. Let's say we did it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, why the fuck would she do that? She wouldn't. Yeah. She would be telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And especially that thing that, that nobody knows. Mm-hmm. How would they know it? Exactly. Unless they did that shit. So, Yuel was arrested for trying to sell a stolen car, but refused to talk to police about his involvement in the murders. And this is when they already had Peggy in custody. So, they were already getting deets. Mm-hmm. And since Peggy and Yuel had been married for a few hours before police what? arrested her. Yeah. Hours? It had been quick. What? Which kind of makes me think. They hmm. were doing it for a reason. Yeah. If you get married, then your wife can't. Like, well, she can, but she doesn't legally have to yeah. say shit. Yeah. She literally couldn't be forced to testify against her husband. Yeah. Even though she had given that testimony, she was like, no, I'm go- not going to. But since UL wouldn't talk with the police, they took him to Little Rock for a shot of truth serum, but he was accidentally given too much and passed out. Ugh. Yeah. And one of the sheriffs was like, listen, if we had just kept, in, kept him in our custody and questioned him, yes. we would have gotten the truth. But instead, he passed the fuck out from truth serum, which I Too did. Too much of that shit. Yes, and I looked into it, and it's actually not even a super real super thing. Super credible. Yeah, yeah it's not really even. not. Mostly I've, placebo. I've too. Placebo. People yeah. feel like they're in that situation because you've told them they're in that situation. They're going to think they're in that situation. Exactly. And they're going to talk. Yes. But this guy got overdosed on truth serum. Which, who the fuck knows what uh-huh. they even injected him with. Yeah, what? Because what the Someone fuck? Someone tell me, because I don't know. <laughs> I don't think anyone knew. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, yes, yes, truth serum. But Peggy was arrested not for the murders, but for the car theft, like her part in the car theft. Oh, okay. And Yuel was given a life sentence in prison for being a habitual criminal after his most recent car theft incident. Fuck. Yeah, like, he was just, like, always going back. So, regardless, he was taken into life in custody. Yes. So, if it was this guy, at least there's that. Eh, well. What? So, Yuel was released in 1973 on parole due to inadequate representation in one of his cases. Fuck that shit. And he lived the rest of his life as a free man. (sighs) Yeah, so this guy, like, probably fucking did it. Did it, do you, like, were there anything... Was there any... Sorry, guys. I'm drunk. Was there fucking anything that, like... Did he commit any crimes after? Yes. He lived his whole life committing crimes. Oh, of course he Always. did. But I don't know if many of them involved violence other than robbery. Okay. Yeah. But the robbery thing, honestly, really... That clearly was a part of this. Yes. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. But a lot of residents of Texarkana, they didn't know, like, if these people were really it, you know? Mm-hmm. So for... Their whole lives, because this only happened a little while ago. For, yeah. Their whole lives, they were like, who did this and is he still living here? Quite likely. Because it's a pretty smallish town. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, this could be my next door neighbor. This it could be whoever could. it is. Maybe it's someone that was just passing through and then left. Like, who knows? But like, there were multiple statements from residents being like, did I walk around with this person still living here every single were day of my life? With this person. Yes. Was this person my husband Would or you my even dad? Have expected. Mm hmm. Probably not. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. If this person really knows what they're doing and they're, like, doing it, they're probably going to be able to hide it decently well. Yeah. It just fucks me up. It fucks me up. And it fucks me up especially because, like, think about all the serial killers we've talked about. Mm-hmm. I can't think of a single one that wears a mask. Right. I feel like if I was being attacked by a person and they were wearing a mask, immediately it'd be like, oh, my chances of survival are, I would say oh, they're what? high because he's hiding his face. 
that means that he doesn't want me to identify him after this attack. Right. So if you're getting murdered by, well, if you're getting murdered if by getting somebody, by if you're person. getting attacked by someone who's wearing a mask, then maybe they're going to let you live because they're not giving you that identifying thing. Like if they exactly. didn't, if they thought they were going to just kill you anyway, they would just kill you. Exactly. Like if it some guy kidnapped me and put me in the back of his car and I saw his face the whole time, I'd be like, oh, I'm fucking dying. dying. There's I'm no dying. chance you're not. Yeah. But if he has a mask on, I'm going to be like, okay, well, at least my chances are a little bit higher because yes. he doesn't want me to identify him. I have not him. thought about that, Mads, and I'm actually, like, genuinely so glad you brought that up. Yeah, but it's interesting because he wore a mask for all of his murders. This so, like, phantom. were they planned? Did he just want to hide his identity? Did he like having kind of that persona, mm-hmm. that phantom persona? Oh, fuck. Yeah, it's interesting. It's wildly mm-hmm. interesting. I wonder. Yeah. And we'll never know. Yeah. And if it was Yol, I wonder... How much did Peggy really play a part? Oh, because she happens to know more than maybe she should. She knows a lot. Yeah. Which means she was at the scene of the crime. She was there. At the scene of the murders. He came back and told her. Mm Mm-hmm. Fuck. Yeah. It's a fucked up story, though. And here's the thing. It's just perfect for a slasher movie. It's perfect for a slasher movie. Not to invalidate these deaths at all. No, not even kind of. That's not at all. But holy shit. Yeah. So good. If it could have just been done better yeah and i haven't seen the remake yet i'm still gonna watch i'm still gonna watch we'll watch we'll watch this shit yeah and uh i'm kind of excited we'll tweet about it after we watch it yes so check for that shit yes of course but oh my god i just fucking love slasher movies it's just so good you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, It preys upon every slasher girl's worst me, fears. And slasher to me is a thousand times better than like some like scary paranormal shit that no one knows, no yeah. one can identify. Maybe that shit's real, maybe it's not. This genuinely, these things that we have talked about on this fucking podcast today and every other episode, genuine, real, happened. Yes. Fuck. Super scary. And I hate to think that all these people were just living their lives. They really were just trying to get some. Just trying to get some as everyone's trying to. When you're a teen. Even when you're not. Yeah. <laughs> but especially when you're a teen in your car on a lover's mm-hmm. lane. And I love that those bad bitches wanted to fuck this guy right? up. Right. They're, They're like, you know waiting. what? Come catch us, you motherfucker. Yeah. And that's nice. It's crazy, though. Like, this really, like, it seems like something out of a horror movie, but mm-hmm. that's because this inspired a lot of horror movies. Yeah. It inspired an urban legend. You know what I mean? Wow. Like, these murders were fucking insane. <sighs> impact yeah bad shit story Mm, not a good movie though (laughs) six out of ten keep that in mind six out of ten because it's a real story if it was a fake story four out of ten if you want a good slasher go watch the first scream don't bother with the other ones another controversial opinion Mm. suck my dick (laughs) the first one's good okay okay watch some halloweens not the fourth one that's not controversial no one sucked my dick about that. That one sucked. Okay. <laughs> okay. Texas Chainsaw, amazing. Amazing. And even the remake was good, except yes. for I will say, God fucking damn it. Do your thing, cuz. <laughs> and at that point, I was like, hey, this movie was great. It was ridiculous, but it was great. Yeah. And then you threw in the. Do your thing, cuz. Oh my God. Yeah. And if you guys don't know what we're talking about, go watch Texas Chainsaw, the, the remake. remake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's great up until that fucking, mm-hmm. like, last 10 minutes. Wait, that hot bitch from Percy Jackson? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the her fucking chick name? chick that plays... I don't even know. I don't know. Watch that shit. It's so fucking... It's really good. It's good until the last five minutes. Mm-hmm. Anyways. So, <laughs> with that, horror movies uh, based on true crime. Yes. I was really surprised to find out how many horror movies had actually been inspired, like, from murders and, like, true crime events. Yeah. That was crazy to me. Like, Honestly, Nightmare on Elm Street. I was looking into that one. I was like, holy shit. Here's the they weren't murders, but I was like... 
No, but these people died in their fucking sleep. After having reoccurring horrible nightmares. Uh Uh-huh. Of essentially what ended up actually happening to them. Yeah. Fucked up. Horrifying. Who knew? And I mean, Texas Chainsaw, I guess, is based on Ed Gein, but no, it's mm-hmm. not. No, it's not. And that it sucks. Not. It's like, it, yeah, Texas Chainsaw is great. It's a good movie. For what it is, it's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But for what it supposedly is lo- so loosely based off of, it's like, bitch, did you even follow that? Yeah, Leatherface and Ed Gein couldn't be totally more opposite. Totally different. Genuinely. <laughs> Genuinely. But I really like that we did this topic because this is a one, like, this is a topic I'd love to, like, revisit because there are so yes. many. Imagine, I'd love to do a yeah, part no, two. I'd love to do a part two on this. Yeah. So be looking for that, I guess, at some point. I and if you guys have any favorite horror movies, send them to us. Send them. Well, I would love to cover that shit. Yes. If you want to hear like the all the deets behind that story, send that shit. We'll do it. Yes. 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. On that note, though, let's plug our fucking socials. Yes. And yes. also our email this time. Send us a fucking email. <gasps> yes. Twitter at Crew Trime. Instagram at a crew crime pod. Nope, it's just crew crime podcast. Okay. <laughs> YouTube crew crime a true crime podcast. Look up crew crime a true crime podcast, and you'll find us. Yeah, you might have to scroll a little. If bit. If you but... look up just crew crime, there is this one girl who like does like mini episodes of whatever her videos are. They show up as crew crime. Look up crew crime a true crime podcast, and then that's us. You'll find us. <laughs> look for that cover photo. Yes. Thank you, chat. Yes. <laughs> and then our email is crew crime true crime at gmail. Um, with that Sweet. as well, though, the listener stories thing, we want to do some like listener stories. If you guys have something that you think is interesting that you would like us to cover, maybe something that's happened in your hometown, maybe yes. something that you just listened to before and you're interested in more. Yes. Let us Send know. in your listener stories, whether yes. it be true crime related or paranormal, paranormal related. We're more than interested. Send in your stories because we would love to read them. Yes. So either DM us, email us. That is again, crew crime, true crime at gmail.com. Yep. Also, don't forget to to rate, review, and subscribe. Everybody who has already rated and reviewed and subscribed. We love thank you. fucking you. You know? Right? And leave a so comment nice. so we can make you listener of the week. Yes, please. Jason. <laughs> Jason. Oh, my God. With that, though, thank you guys so much for listening. We fucking love you guys. Yes. And have a great week. Enjoy your best. week. It's been heavy. So yes. get ready for next week. It'll probably be heavy again. Yep. Crew try. Enjoy. <laughs> Okay, we love you guys so much. Bye. Bye.